100th Psalm, Psalms 100. As everybody knows, Thanksgiving has a lot of tradition, some good and some bad. But at our home, it's been a tradition for, I guess, over 40 years. I'm not certain exactly what year I started this, but every year at Thanksgiving, reading at least the 100th Psalm. Sometimes we might add another to it, but usually it's just the 100th Psalm. And there's a reason for that. The Bible says in the very title of this psalm that it is a psalm of praise. You know, Christmas is just around the corner, and uh, uh, some of you already got your trees up and uh, making me really look bad. Uh, it's, it'll be real common between now and then uh, hearing people say, well, what's on your Christmas list? All of the kiddos have a list, you know, things that things that they want. And uh, so we hear a lot about the Christmas list, but, you know, I can't help but wonder why we never hear anything, you know, about a Thanksgiving list. And it just makes me wonder if maybe we're more concerned about gifts than we are about gratitude. And uh, that's a big mistake. That's the way it seems. You know, the old song that says, count your many blessings. That's, that's really good advice. We ought to do that. As we think about Thanksgiving and uh, Thanksgiving Day and the uniqueness of it being the, the only national holiday that began as truly a Christian holiday, and in 1621, when the pilgrim settlers met with their Indian guests, it was to give thanks to God for His blessings. Their attitude was so much different than the attitude of many today. And, you know, I've, I've just got to tell you, it just, you know, if you've done this and I've heard it and I don't remember if you have and I'm not angry with anyone about it, but I just hate to hear that phrase, Turkey Day. It's not Turkey Day, it's Thanksgiving Day. And that's what the problem is. We get more concerned about the food and football and family and friends than we do about being thankful to God. And we need to rediscover the importance of Thanksgiving and and later on in the message, I'm going to read a couple of verses that will really emphasize that. But it is essential that we rediscover the importance of thanksgiving. And the best way to do that is to focus on God's Word. And this psalm is, uh, is one of the best portions of, of Scripture to do that. Verse 1, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands... Serve the Lord with gladness and come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. 
enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Notice that at the very beginning of this, the first two verses, we see here the response of a thankful heart. And and if I could just sum it all up, it would be this. He's calling for exuberance in worship. And there are three things in these two verses that, that expresses evidence that we are thankful. So this is what the response of a thankful heart ought to be. Notice verse number one. He says, there is joyful shouting. He says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye land. And that phrase, make a joyful noise, comes from a single Hebrew word that means to shout. It means to raise a sound. It means to to cry out. It's the very word that they would have used in coming back from a battle where they had triumphed over the enemy and they would come back with shouting in the streets. And this is the word that would have been used. Or it's the same word that would have been used when applauding the king as he made his appearance before the people and the people would begin to clap and to shout and to, and to express their, their loyalty to their king. This is the same word that would be used. And so here he's talking about joyful shouting being an expression of our praise unto the Lord. And you know, I read this and I have to wonder, why are we so reserved when it comes to the matter of worship? You know, like the old saying, you know, we, 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 we go to a ball game and shout like a Comanche and we come to church and we sit like a wooden Indian. And, you know, that doesn't make sense. You know, some people say, well, you know, I'm quiet and reserved at church because I'm the shy type. But then they go to a ball game, let's say the Super Bowl or the World Series, and watch watch how involved they get there. And so, you know, they have an emotional meltdown at the ball game, but they come to church and you can't get a holy grunt out of them. I mean, there's just no response, just a blank stare like a, you know, a calf looking in a new gate, just uh, uh, nothing there. And, and, and you've got to wonder why. There's something wrong with that. And especially when the Bible itself tells us that if our heart is thankful for the blessings of God, there's going to be joyful shouting there. There's going to be some expression of it. And notice, he says, this is, this is to all the land. In other words, it extends to everyone, not just certain people. It's not just the extroverts, it's the introverts, it's all of us. And when we come to worship God, it ought to be an emotional experience. And here's the thing that makes it emotional. Notice he says that we are to shout unto the Lord. 
In other words, it's not to impress other people. It's not even to please ourselves, but rather praise is designed that it would please God rather than other people. We ought to think of worship as worshiping an audience of one, because it ought to be an interaction, an emotional interaction between you and God. And sometimes we get so worried about what somebody else is going to think. You know, what, what, what if I... What if I was to shout out like Brother Ron, you know, hallelujah, or shout out, you know, like Brother Hamlin. And, and, and some of you would like to do that, but you're scared to death. I, you wouldn't be afraid at the ball game, but you get here and you clam up and it's just like, you know, you, 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 you just can't say anything. And some of you, you know, we get all excited and sing in one of those courses and you just like to close your eyes and raise your hands or clap your hands and just something there that's got you tied up in knots. You, you know what the problem is? You're too worried about what other people think. I'll never forget whenever I started preaching and that was the most difficult thing to overcome. And Bev can tell you, I remember the day that it happened because I had been preaching. Uh, I'd been filling in the pulpit there at the church where, you know, I, I pastor or where I, where I was a member. I'd preached in the rescue mission anywhere I could. I'd been preaching. Bev had heard me preach many, many times, but I'll never forget a church called and wanted me to come in view of a call, and I went, and I, and, and I gotta tell you, I was, I was scared to death because we had all of these Bible college students and some graduates all trying to get that church. I mean, they were about to knock the door down to the pulpit committee trying to get that church, and here I am. I've never pastored a church before, and it was then that I made the decision that regardless of what I look like or what people think about me, I'm just going to cut loose and just let God do what He wants through me. And, and I think it probably scared Bev to death. And, uh, and i, and I got to tell you, it scared me a bit too. But what I'm saying is, folks, you can't worry about what other people think about what you're doing. As long as it's appropriate, as long as it's pleasing God, stop worrying about what they think. You know, some people, some people, and boy, I'm I'm going to get off track here because we're going to get to singing here in a minute. But some people, when they go to sing, they get all tied in knots and they're, you know, they're afraid, they get nervous and what have you. And, 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 and again, that's just natural in the beginning, but at some point in time, you've got to decide that you're just singing unto the Lord and you're going to rear back and let it fly. And let me tell you, one of the reasons that a lot of people, you know, you can't hit certain notes and you can't do this and that is because you're not just cutting loose. Stop worrying about what everybody else thinks. There ought to be exuberant joy in our service. Now, look at verse 2. There ought to be jovial service. He says, serve the Lord with gladness. And that word serve means to work or it means to labor. It talks about the things that we do unto the Lord and for the Lord. We ought to serve God. But notice, don't forget the gladness part. A lot of people say, well, yeah, I believe we ought to serve God, but they seem to leave that part of it out. They just totally ignore the fact. They think, well, as long as I'm doing the right thing, in other words, as long as what I'm doing is the proper thing to fulfill my duty, that's all that's important. But notice here that that our attitude matters to God that we are to serve the Lord and we're to do it with gladness. 
You know, it's not that old attitude that on Sunday afternoon, oh, Lord, it's almost 6 o'clock. We've got to hurry up and get down there, you know. It's, it, it's kind of like you can't wait to get back here. It's, it's not like, you know, Saturday night and you get to thinking, oh, wow, I've got to teach Sunday school in the morning. I mean, there ought to be some excitement in what you're doing when it comes to serving the Lord. We can learn a lesson from the world. You know, you keep hearing that phrase, uh, service with a smile. Don't, don't you hate to go into a, a restaurant somewhere and, you know, whenever you go in there, they're acting like they're doing you a favor. I mean, you're paying the bill, you're giving them a tip, you know, and uh, and they act like they're doing you a favor by coming and waiting on you, and they're sour, and they're rude. And i got to tell you, I don't care how good the food is, I don't want to go back to a place like that. You know, I've got to wonder, if the world sees the value of our service being with a smile, why don't we Christians see the value of... of projecting a good image whenever unbelievers come in. The Bible says we ought to. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, says whenever the unbelievers come in, you know, and if the spirit, the attitude of the service is such as it ought to be, they'll go away reporting, that is, telling their neighbors that God is in you of a truth. In other words, they might not agree with everything we say and everything we do, but they'll recognize they've been in the presence of God. And that's the way it ought to be. There ought to be jovial service and there ought to be joyful shouting. But look at the, at the, at the very next phrase in verse 2. There ought to be jubilant singing. He says, come before His presence with singing. And again, I've got to wonder why is it that some people aren't serious about singing. I mean, you know, they don't mind listening to others sing, or they might listen to The Voice, or America's Got Talent, or, you know, Teenage Idol, or whatever it is, and, you know, they listen to those programs, and they enjoy singing as long as they don't have to do it. And so, you know, Brother Tim gets up here, says, turn the page so-and-so, and all the congregation starts singing, and they stand there muttering a few words, you know, just half-heartedly going through the motions. And some don't even sing. Now, look, if there's a physical problem to where you literally cannot sing, I'm not talking about you. I understand that. But if you're physically able and you've been born again, there's absolutely no reason for you not to be singing and doing it with all of your heart. This is serious business in God's sight, you see. Now, I know again, somebody say, well, you know, I'm just not a singer. You know, well, look, we, we cannot all sing equally as well. Okay? We can't. I mean, let's face it, there's some notes that you can't hit that somebody else can. There's some people, you know, just got a better singing voice. But although we are not all equal when it comes to our ability, everybody can sing. There's nobody here that cannot sing. Here people say, well, I just can't sing. I've said that myself. And some people probably would agree with me. But I really can sing. Not well, but I can sing. Not well, but I can sing loud. Not well, but I can sing with all of my heart. And that's the important part. Jubilant singing. Remember, come before His presence. We're in the presence of the King expressing our love and adoration for Him. So this is the response of a thankful heart. But... 
Notice verse 3. Now we see the requirements for a thankful heart. In other words, this, this has to do with the essentials. And the first thing, look at verse 3. There must be an awareness of our relationship with God. And he shows the rationale for worship. And notice, first of all, it has to do with his person. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. That word know is an experiential knowledge. In other words, it's something that we experience for ourselves. It's something that we know for a fact, it's not just head knowledge, it's heart knowledge, it's something that we've experienced. And, and, and we'll never be truly thankful until we acknowledge God's authority, until we acknowledge who He is and consider His attributes. And the, and, and the, the better we know God, the more thankful we become. And so he starts by speaking of his person. You often hear me talk about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a difference. Here, it's, the emphasis is on the person of God, but then he speaks about the power of God. Now, this all has to do with our awareness of our relationship with God. His person, his power, notice, it is he that hath made us. In other words, we owe our very existence to God. Think about that. You are a special creation. Nobody is here by accident. Yeah, but my mama said, you know, they really didn't plan on having the baby, you know, when I was born. Well, you better believe God knew about it before mama did. Amen. And whether mama planned on it or not, whether mother wanted it or not, believe you me, you are a special creation of God. And knowing that, just knowing that, 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 that I am God's special creation and that God has a plan for my life, that gives me a purpose in life. And that ought to make us thankful that we're, we're here for a reason on this earth. So he speaks about the power of God. And then notice he speaks about God's purchase. He says, we are his people. And we belong to God. You know, you think about God's power and his creative power. It's God that made us. That's one thing, but God made the mosquitoes. But who wants them, you know? <laughs> that doesn't make them anything, you know, special in one sense. So being, being a part of God's creation is one thing. Being a part of God's family is another. Amen? I, I, you know, and, and knowing this, this is the key here. It, having this experience the, 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 uh, of knowing that you have a personal relationship with God. And that's why Paul said to the church at Corinth, Know ye not, because a lot of folks are ignorant of this, he says, know ye not that you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. We, we become God's property. He redeemed us. And that word redeemed has to do with, well, it's a word they would have used going down to the slave market and make a purchase of a slave and take him out of the slave market and set him free. And now he becomes the property of the person that purchased him. That's what God did for you. You belong to God, and we ought to praise God for that. But then notice, as a result of that, he speaks about God's provision. Not only are we a part of God's family, he says we are the sheep of his pasture. 
Now, I know that doesn't sound very flattering, does it? To be compared to a sheep. But, but I'll tell you, all of a sudden, our attitude changes whenever we realize that as a sheep, the Lord is our shepherd. And the point of this is that because of our relationship with Him, we are under His constant care. I love that old song that says, Every need He is supplying, don't you? Think about that. Every need He is supplying. And in these four verses, we see a reminder of God's covenant, a reminder of God's creation, a reminder of God's children, and a reminder of God's care. And if that doesn't get you excited, I don't think anything will. And so here, having to do with the requirements of a thankful heart, there must be the awareness of a relationship with God. But look at verse number 4. Here we see there must be an acceptance of our responsibility to God. It's one thing having a relationship with Him. It's another thing to recognize you are responsible to Him. And he says, enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. In other words, this is not an option. This is an obligation. And the Bible makes it clear that we are to be thankful. And if we're not thankful, we're not in God's will. Ingratitude is serious. It's serious because it's sinful. We often wonder how in the world did we get where we are in our society today? What causes people to act like they do? Romans 1.21 explains it all. For when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. And he goes on and he says to the point that God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things that are not convenient, those things that are unbecoming those things that are harmful to oneself. That's how we got where we are. Because any nitwit can walk out in the dark at night and look up in the sky at the stars, and if he has a brain in his head, he can figure out there is indeed a God. There is a Creator. And the sad thing is, instead of worshiping the Creator, we worship the creature instead. Notice he said when they knew God, and they knew God in the sense that they could recognize He was real, that He existed, you can see His handiwork. And he said for the, in the visible things of this world, the things you can see, they testify as to the invisible things. So we know there's a God. But when they knew God, when they saw that They received Him not as God. They didn't acknowledge Him as the true and the living God. Neither were they thankful. Now, are you beginning to see how important this attitude of gratitude really is in the sight of God? If you're not truly thankful in your heart to God, you're living in sin. It's that that simple and that serious. And if we're really thankful, because somebody said, Oh, yeah, I really appreciate all that God's done for me. Have you been listening to what we've already said this morning about the evidences of being thankful? 
how we express our gratitude to God? And, you know, how can you expect others to believe that you are really thankful for the blessings of God when none of these evidences exist in your life? Now I want you to notice the very last verse here. We see the the reasons for a thankful heart. And you mark it down, regardless of your situation, there are three unchangeable facts that ought to make you thankful. Notice, first of all, is the evident goodness of God. God's evident goodness. He says, for the Lord is good. Now, is there anyone here that wants to debate that fact? The Bible says the Lord is good. And anybody with a lick of sense realize that's true. He is good to the thankful and the unthankful, the Bible says. He's good to all. And anyone who looks at the facts has to conclude that God indeed is good. He's good all of the time. He's good in every way. So there is God's evident goodness, but there's also God's everlasting mercy. Notice he says, His mercy is everlasting. Now this speaks about God's nature because mercy is God's goodness in relation to sinners. We often talk about, you know, the grace of God. And grace and mercy are expressions of God's love. Grace gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy withholds what we do deserve. In other words, the punishment for our sins. And were it not for the mercy of God, we'd be destroyed. Amen? That's why he said in Lamentations chapter number 3, he said... Uh, He said, were it not for the mercies of the Lord, speaking to Israel, you would have been destroyed. We owe our very existence to God's mercy. He's been merciful to us. I'm so thankful that God gave me what I needed instead of what I deserved. But listen, none of us live perfect lives. And notice what he says here. His mercy is what? Everlasting. That means that I can depend on His mercy to be there for me when I fail, just like His mercy was there for me in years gone by. This has to do with our future failures. His mercy is everlasting. How can you not be thankful for that, knowing that even if and when you do fail, God is a merciful God? So there's God's evident goodness, there's God's everlasting mercy, but notice also there's God's enduring truth. It says, and His truth endureth to all generations. Have you ever thought about where we would be were it not for the truth of God's Word? Well, we would be under condemnation, amen? We would be condemned, as the Bible says. We would be in bondage. We would be trouble. We would be confused. We would be without hope. And I get so sick and tired of hearing people, you know, talk about, well, you know, the world has changed and we Christians need to get with the times, you know, because the world's different today than it was. Well, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And the Bible says that His Word endureth forever. And without His Word, we would have no sure standard of right and wrong. There would be no explanation for where we came from, why we're here, or where we're going. There would be no assurance that our sins have been forgiven. 
But because of God's truth, we can have hope. I don't know about you, but Bev and I often often express our concern for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. And we think about, oh, dear God, we're watching this world change every day before our eyes and getting worse all of the time. And we wonder, how are they going to do? What, you know, how, how are they going to stand up against this evil world? How, how are they going to be able to endure and to do what is right? Well, look, they can do what we've done, but they have to do it the same way. And that is through their faithfulness to the Word of God. God's Word, His truth endures to all generations. I mean, it'll be here till the very end, folks, and we don't need to worry about that. And that ought to be cause of rejoicing. The same God that saved you can save your grandkids. The same God that saved you can help them through the struggles of life. He hasn't changed. His Word hasn't changed one bit. How can we not be thankful considering who God is and what He's done? Now, I said at the very beginning, for some reason or another, we do not attach the importance to faithfulness and and thanksgiving that we ought to. But I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 28. And here we find the Lord as He speaks through Moses to the children of Israel. And notice what he says in verse 47, chapter 28, verse 47, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God. Stop just a minute. Are you doing that? Are you serving God? Because a lot of folks, you know, they never get beyond that. And notice he says, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God, but notice the qualifying factor, with joyfulness and with gladness of heart. Well, why? Well, he knew you were going to ask that question, so here's the answer. For the abundance of all things. Now, notice carefully. Therefore, because you're not serving God with joyfulness and gladness, therefore shall thou serve thine enemies which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and thirst and nakedness and want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he hath destroyed thee. Boy, let me tell you, God doesn't make any idle threats. And God had warned them. He told them just a few chapters before that. He said, I'm the one that causes you to get riches. I'm the one that brought you into the land. I'm the one that has given you all of these things. And now he extends this warning. Because you don't serve me with joyfulness and gladness, I'm going to let the enemy trod you underfoot. They're going to put a yoke of iron on your neck and enslave you. You know what happened? They didn't heed the warning. And when you turn to Lamentation chapter 1 and you see there the awful, horrible, terrible picture of those people starving, and even to the point that mothers ate the flesh of their own children. 
exactly what God said would happen, happened. And we know what happened to Israel. The question is, what about you? Are you really that serious about being thankful to God? And the mere act of serving God is not enough. It's the attitude with joyfulness and gladness of our heart. Being grateful for His grace. And I'll tell you, it has transforming power when we are truly thankful for what God has done. I happened to, I don't know how I ran across it this morning, I read the testimony of a 26-year-old young woman that had become a Christian. Her name was Jackie Hill Perry, a black woman in St. Louis, I believe it was, a former lesbian turned Christian. And she said, and I jotted this down, quote, I think we've made God very little if we believe He cannot change people. If He can make a moon, stars, and a galaxy that we have yet to fully comprehend, how can He not simply change my desires? Don't you for a second believe the lie of the devil that these desires are God-given and that you ought to just live them out? So many times we try to justify our poor behavior by saying, yeah, but I have this desire in me. That doesn't mean, look, if I get up high enough, if it, you know what I'm talking about? I, I used to work in construction, be up on those bridges and walk in that steel to make your toes curl and you look down. And there's this weird thing going on in your mind that you almost feel like you'd like to jump. Has anybody else experienced that? I know it's weird. And, but does that mean you ought to jump just because, you know, you, you get this feeling come over you? Of course not. I'm, I'm, I'm simply telling you and trying to get you to see the importance of being thankful to God and how it literally changes our life. If we trust Christ as our Savior, if we take Him as our Lord, if we thank Him for our goodness, and if we think about Him continually, there's no way that we can remain the same. He changes us. We become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Have you trusted Him as your Savior? Have you taken Him to be the Lord of your life? Are you truly thankful for all that He's done? Are you keeping your focus on Him? And if you can answer yes to all of those questions... You will repeatedly go through one transformation after another, growing, maturing spiritually throughout your life. And when you stop, you're going to get in trouble just like Israel did. That's why I keep saying sin has its own built-in punishment. God doesn't have to do something extraordinary to make you suffer. All you've got to do is sin. And the result of your sin will torment you. And it doesn't have to be that way. It can be better because God's better 
God's good all of the time, and He wants you to experience that. Let's stand together. Father, I pray this morning that you'll speak to our hearts, and we could never, ever even begin to thank you enough for all that you've done. But Lord, help us to be honest this morning about our attitudes, and help us to stop worrying about what other people might think, and help us to be honest enough that in those places where we fail, that we would confess our sins and find forgiveness and leave here with peace and joy in our hearts today. And for that poor soul that's never trusted Christ as their Savior, is struggling under the heavy load of sin, I pray that they'll come to Him today before it's too late. For it's in Jesus' precious name we ask all of these things. Amen. And as we stand and while we sing, if God's speaking to your heart, would you come? Those awaiting baptism, Barry, Lisa, if you would please just go ahead and be dismissed. Brother Rick Morris is right back there at the door and he'll show you where to go. And I think they're on their way. Amen. And if God's speaking to your heart about anything whatsoever, would you come while we sing? It's number four. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all, consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the salvation, and for baptism, church membership, or it might be that you just want to come and pray and nobody will bother you. You just come and bring your need before the Lord. From lofty mountain grandeur, We look at all that he's done. And hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. Then sings my soul. My 
How great thou 